Well, today you're going to get your last sermons in Romans for the rest of the year. Right? That's it. I'm going to finish chapter 16 next year. Uh, But we are here finishing chapter 15, verses 30 to 33. We're talking about prayer. In the end, I'm asking you to pray with me. That's really where the sermon goes. Paul is asking the church to pray, which means God is asking His church to pray. So I ask you to pray. Chapter 15, verses 30 to 33, if you have your Bible, you should open it and you should read with me. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, And by the love of the Spirit, would you strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning together, but ultimately to you, to your presence, to worship you, to know you, to love you, to hear from you. Would you speak to us now? Even as you have prayed, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? I pray that our hearts and our minds would be captured by the desire and the imagination of uh, the power of prayer, that our lives might be full of it, shaped by it, enriched by it, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The simplest definition of prayer is simply that you would talk to God. Prayer is simply us talking to God, talking to Jesus, and we talk to Him about all kinds of things, and we talk to Him all the time about everything. It's that beautiful reality that we can in any moment, at any time, lift the eyes of our hearts, right, to direct our heart's attention, to turn our hearts towards Him, our attention and our thoughts to the Lord, and to talk to Him, to engage with Him, and to know that He hears us. In all kinds of prayer, prayer is a many varied and splendid thing, it's it's. Prayer can be almost anything. We pray for our needs and we pray for the needs of others. But prayer is so much more than that. We turn our hearts and it's worship. Much of what we were just doing, there's a, there's a fine line between the, the prayers we pray and the prayers we sing. And the turning of our hearts and that when we sing, we're not just singing songs. We're addressing the Lord and we're addressing His people together. It is worship, it's adoration, it's confession. It's the seeking and the searching of our own hearts. Search me and know me. We pray for help, we pray for wisdom, we pray for strength. We pray for His graces, we pray for peace and for comfort and for rest. We pray for consecration in His presence. In our lives, we pray our spiritual desires and the things that we need and want from Him. When Paul finishes 
what many have called a theological treatise, the book of Romans, as he is finishing the theological part, and also we've spent some chapters in practical application, the theology and the, and the practice, and then he asks for prayer. He turns his heart to prayer. As he looks ahead, we talked about this last week, as he looks ahead at his, his travel plans and his ministry plans and his, and his missional desires and his desire for what God would do in his mission, as he looks ahead at all these things, he asks the church to pray. He's planning a trip. He's in Corinth, we believe, when he writes the letter to the Romans. He's, he's in the edge of Illyricum. He's gone around from Jerusalem to Illyricum. He's there in Corinth, riding across the waters to Rome. But before he goes there, he plans to go back to Jerusalem to deliver some gifts to the saints who are struggling there before he comes back to Rome to visit them on his way to Spain. So he's got these plans, these hopes to finally end up in Rome on his way to an unreached people in Spain. But in these verses, as he thinks about this, tells the church of his plans and then pleads with them to pray. What we get in these brief verses that I just read is is the necessity of prayer, the power of prayer, the purpose of prayer, and a peace that comes through prayer. All but the end, I've got alliterated, right? There's necessity, but there's the power and the purpose and the peace. And first, we see the necessity. We see the necessity in several ways. We see the necessity of prayer because of who's asking us to pray, right? And the strength, we see it also in the strength of his appeal for prayer, but also in the kind of prayer that he's asking for, right? So first, we see the necessity of prayer in who who is asking for prayer. This is Paul, the apostle who is asking for prayer. Right? He says he's the least of the apostles. Most of us would say he's the greatest of the apostles. Right? He's the chief of the apostles. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Right? He, he has planted the church among the Gentiles throughout the world. He's probably the greatest missionary that ever lived. This is Paul pleading that the church would pray for him. He wants prayer. He needs prayer. He appeals to prayer. At least six times in his letters, and two-thirds of the New Testament are his letters, at least six times he asks the church to pray for him. When he writes to them, whatever else he's doing, he says, pray for me. First Thessalonians 5.25, he says, brother, brothers, pray for us. Second Corinthians 1.11, he says, you also must help us by your prayer. Right? And that says, even in that little verse, there's something about the, the necessity the, and the power and the purpose of prayer. You must help us by your prayers. He prays in the end of Ephesians, if you remember the whole armor of God, and he concludes the armor of God with pray for us, with all kinds of prayers all the time, that our mouths would be open, that grace would be given to us to speak, and he pleads that they would pray for the the strength and success of his ministry. Paul the Apostle. If Paul looks at his travel, his travel and his ministry and what's in front of him and what he wants God to do, if prayer, if Paul looks at these things and he pleads for prayer, is there not a necessity for all of us to be praying? If Paul needs it so desperately that he's pleading with the church for it, should we not understand in ourselves the necessity to be in prayer. But second, we see the necessity of prayer because of the strength of Paul's appeal. 
Right? He doesn't just ask them to pray. Right? He, he appeals to the church. Right? Look at verse 30. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, you know, my family, my siblings. Right? He has this, this sense of familial bond with them, and I appeal to you guys by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit that you would strive together with me in your prayers. Right? The strength of his appeal, he doesn't just say, would you pray for me at this point. Right? He calls in this, the strength of the, the bond that we have in Christ and the, the love that we share in the Spirit. He says, based on you know, on the Lord Jesus Christ as our common Lord and on the Spirit as the one who pours out the common love, I appeal to you on these shared realities that you would please pray for me. Right? He's trying to, to use these, these things to spur them to pray for him. Finally, we see the necessity of prayer and the kind of prayer that he's asking for. Right? It's not casual. Right, he says he wants them, verse 30, to strive together with me in your prayers. To strive together with me. The word underneath in the Greek for strive right there is the word agonizo. It's the word we get the English word agonize from. Right? So there, there is the, what the word has in it. I mean, you already know because the way we use it, if you agonize, it denotes struggle. It denotes conflict. It was, it was often used of uh, describing an athlete's intent, uh, intense exertion, right? The exertion of an athlete as he does his thing, a, a wrestler as he does his thing, or a runner, right? There's, there, there's a, a struggle that's involved, an energy that's involved, and he says, I want you to agonize with me in prayer. He's calling the church to an intense form of prayer, spiritual warfare, really. I want you to ask God for these things on my behalf in my ministry. It's a spiritual warfare. There, and he believes that there's a real significant impact on the world. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. What he thinks these prayers will help take place. That he thinks that, that this matters. right? That there's real world implication to whether they pray or not. It reminds me this kind of prayer that he's calling them to. Some, some of us would think of Genesis 32 where Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Jacob wrestled with God. Right? There, there, there's this agonizo in his relationship with God. But it makes me think of Jesus in the garden where the same word is used in Luke 22, 24. It says that being in agony, Jesus prayed the more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Right? Being in agony, that's our word. It just comes across here in the English. Right? But being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly. And you see how those come together, the agony of soul and the fervency of our prayer. Right? And, the, and, the, and the way that it shapes the kind of praying, being in agony of soul in the, in the terms of the intensity of the prayer. Colossians 4.12, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, that is a 
He's from Colossae. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Let me tell you about this brother. He is always agonizing on your behalf in his prayers. Why? So that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Same word. Tied to prayer. He agonizes for you. He wrestles for you on your behalf. In his prayers, he is, he is struggling for you and he thinks it's going to have the real world implication, the real world effect of that you would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That God would answer that prayer in a real way in their lives. And that his struggling for them on their behalf matters. When Christians strive together in prayer, God works in us through his people. It's, the, the Bible is so clear about this. Whatever our questions are about God's sovereignty and our praying, and he knows what we need before we ask, he says, pray without ceasing. Whatever, whatever our theological hang-ups are, the reality is, When Christians strive together in prayer, God works through His people. It's the means by which God has ordained that He will accomplish His purposes in the world and in the lives of His people. And so He calls us to prayer. How necessary is prayer if Paul needs it? He appeals to the church in the strongest possible terms that they would rise up and get on their knees and strive with Him. The genuine intensity of our praying at some level reveals the depth of our need. The strength of our desires. My friends, do you strive in prayer? Do you need it like Paul? Like Jesus? Who agonized in the garden and asked his friends, will you pray with me? Will you watch with me these hours? We see the necessity of prayer coming through, but we also see, we should note, the power of prayer, which for me is very simple in verse 30, but I want to say when I say the power of prayer, I am referring to what prayer can accomplish and how it's accomplished, right? What it accomplished, but but particularly how it is accomplished. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful because God hears us. That's what makes it powerful. And so Paul, when he asks, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, would you strive together with me in your prayers to God? Talk to God for me. Get on your knees and plead to the Lord for me. Right? Would you talk to God about the things that we long to see happen in my ministry as I travel here and there, that the Lord's will would be done in these things? Right? To God. See, the, saying prayers, and unfortunately I sometimes get this feeling in the church, saying prayers is not magic. Sometimes it feels like people think, like you say, a, you know, we'll say a prayer. And it's like, you know, did it work or not? And I have people sometimes saying, well, I prayed and I prayed and it didn't work. I'm like, well, that's, that's just a fascinating way to say it. Like, you know it's not a spell, Right? It's not an incantation that, you know, it either worked or it didn't work. Well, maybe if I put my arms this way and say it. You know, it's not, what do you mean it didn't work? How did, what is it, what would it look like for it to work? Right? Prayer is talking to 
God, right? Prayer does not work. God works. Right? God works. And he asks them to pray to God on his behalf, to intercede with a personal, living, almighty, all-wise God. Talk to him for me. In that sense, it works. So we don't look to prayer. We don't trust in prayer. Prayer does not work in that sense. Prayer is talking to God and asking God to work. Asking God to do what only God can do. Asking God to intercede and to show his power and to bear his arm in strength on our behalf. The power is not in prayer, but the power is in the God to whom we pray. Who, the scripture is so clear, can do all things. Right? Our complaint is not with prayer if it's at that point. Our prayer, our, our complaint is with God. We were not able to get God to do what we wanted him to do. But this is the thing. God is wise, and he is sovereign, and he is free, and he is able to do all things. According to his will. Job says in 42.2, I know, O Lord, that you can do all things. There's, there's no purpose of yours that can be thwarted. Right? That's the beginning point of prayer. Jesus agrees. He says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Right? And so we know God can do all things. And so in that sense, prayer works. <laughs> but the problem with prayer is this. God is not our servant. God is our king. God is our God. He's God. He is king. He is Lord. He is our father, not our servant. And when we talk to him, it's not to manipulate him into doing our will per se. He answers prayer. Sometimes his answers are yes. Sometimes his answers are no. Sometimes his answer is wait. But he answers every prayer. He hears every prayer. He just doesn't always do what, he, what we want him to do. And this is, I mean, I think of it just in terms of you've got a teenage boy, and he wants to borrow, or a girl, and she, he or she wants to borrow the car. Right? They're going to have to ask you, Dad, I need to borrow the car. Can I have the keys? Right? If they don't ask, they're not going to get the car. But when they ask, it is still in the will of the Father whether he gives them the keys or not. No, son. There are five inches of snow on the road, and you can't have it, right? Sometimes, in the wisdom of the Father, the answer is no, or wait. They're going to plow the roads. A couple of hours, it'll be a little safer, right? There are a lot of ways that the fa- a, a loving Father answers, but it's not always doing what... Can you imagine how unloving it would be for a father to always do whatever his, his kids t- say? It just is not how it works. He loves us. And thank God he does not do what we say. In Philippians 1, 19 and 20, he says, I know that through your prayers, through your prayers, through your prayers, 
and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in response to those prayers that this is going to turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ is going to be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, whether I live or whether I die. This, if you will pray, I believe that this is going to be my deliverance, whether I live or die, that God will hear and answer my prayers, our prayers. The power of prayer is the God who hears And who purposes to work through prayer? The scripture is so clear on this. It's it's his working and it's his will, but he he has willed it through the means of prayer. He works. Then he involves us. He calls us into relationship with himself. He says, talk to me, right? Talk to me. Be with me. Seek me. And in this way and in this relationship, I work in mighty ways. Do you see that he says deliverance would come by life or by death? See, we think if we pray for life and we don't get it, it didn't work. But the scripture is very clear that in those prayers, by life or by death, God is answering our prayers. And there's more at work here. We should also pray. I love What Paul says in that verse, we should also pray whatever God's will is, life or death, he prays that I will not be ashamed in any way as I go through all of this and that that I will be full of courage as I go through all of this and that Christ would be honored in my body that is in my life and in my living and my response to all this, whether I live or die. Right, And that that should be at the heart of our prayer too. Not just getting God to do what we want Him to do, which is life, but in the midst of it all, knowing that life is not always the answer, we would not be ashamed and full of courage. And Christ would be honored in us, however He answers our prayers. Colossians 1.11, He says, You also must help us by prayer. Why, Paul? so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing that was granted. Help us by your prayer, because blessing will be granted to us through the prayers of many. And I'm just asking again for me and myself too, is, is we, do we believe that God's blessing is granted in response to prayer? Paul believes it desperately and pleads for it. He says, help me. Strive with me on my behalf. Will you pray for me? Because God is able to do all things. And as I look at my life and I look at my plans, I need God to work. So we see the necessity of prayer and the power of prayer being the God to whom we pray, but we also see the purposes then in this. We've alluded to it along the way, but in verses 31 and 32, he says, well, in the end of 30, he says, you know, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, so that for this purpose, with this end in mind, with this expectation that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that I need these things to go smoothly so that 
by God's will, and it's his will, not my will, if any of it happens, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy. Like he wants all these things. The purpose of prayer are all these plans and desires for ministry, for God to open doors and to make way, to raise up valleys and bring down mountains and to make things you know, happen. Now, the purpose of prayer, I want to say, includes profound relationship. If you were asking me the purpose of prayer, probably the first thing I would say is that we would talk to our Father, that we would actually have a relationship with our Father. I think the main purpose of prayer, just like in any diet, what's the purpose of talking to your wife? Well, I got a lot of reasons I talk to my wife, but number one, I'm talking to her out of relationship, right? We, we dialogue, we, look, we try to make time every day to communicate, right? To share ourselves with each other and to talk about the, all the same things. So number, the, the main purpose of prayer is going to be profound relationship. And secondly, is often the way that prayer, I believe, shapes and changes us. Talks about when we behold him and how we are changed from glory to glory into the image of the one, and that the more we're with him and the more that we are interact with him, the more, I don't want to say he rubs off on us, but there is a sense in which we are changed as we are with him and wrestle with him in these things. But I don't want us to miss that the purpose of the striving prayer in the church in this text is specifically to seek the blessing of God, his work and his power in Paul's life and in his ministry. Verse 31, you know, tells us he wants to be protected. He wants to be delivered. I want to be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And I want my service in Jerusalem to be acceptable. It would be that the saints would receive this well, this gift from the Gentile churches. He wants to be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. This is a prayer for Christians all the time around the world. can always pray, right? Father, protect us and deliver us. Christians in Nigeria have been suffering in the last few years under some of the most intense persecution ever in, in, in history. They, they are suffering from gun violence and attacks to kidnappings and beheadings. They, we should pray and strive for their behalf, deliver us from unbelievers. And the U.S. is not anything like Nigeria or other parts of the world, but many of us are concerned about the loss of religious freedoms and, and, and the, the attack on Christian ethics and the things that are going on in our own country. And it's a simple prayer that maybe the church should be engaged in is, Father, deliver us from unbelievers and, and deliver. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. But remember, deliverance may be by life or by death. Whichever one comes by his will does not mean he is not working and conquering. However it turns out, Christ may be honored in us. It's interesting when this story is told, this story of Paul wanting to go, to go into Jerusalem and delivering this and going to Rome. It's interesting, this story is actually told and is recorded in the book of Acts. And it's recorded there, we're told there that when Paul comes to Jerusalem... 
and he comes near. He's not quite there. He's left Corinth, and he pops along Ephesus. He talks to the elders there, and he pops along, and he gets close to Jerusalem, and he meets up with a prophet named Agabus. And the prophet is quite clear with him, and he warns Paul of the dangers that await him in Jerusalem. And the disciples hear all this, and they begin to plead with Paul not to go. It's like telling Jesus, you know, not to go to Jerusalem. Paul won't have any of it. Right? They're telling him not to go. It's dangerous. Let somebody else go. Here's what Paul says in Acts 21, 13. Then Paul answered and said, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Cut it out. For I, I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. That's really where every prayer ends. (laughs) Not my will, but your will be done. And, And this is where they end. And so Paul's thing is by life or by death, he will be honored. And if that's his goal, I feel like God has taken me to Jerusalem. And so let the will of the Lord be done. And they're rightly concerned about the reception he's going to receive because when he gets there, he's mobbed, he's arrested, he's imprisoned. The Jews begin to plot his murder. They're going to assassinate him. So he's spirited away to another prison. He goes through several trials there. Eventually, he's taken to chains and to Rome. He finally goes to Rome. His prayer is answered. Is it not? He gets to Rome in chains. Did the prayers of the church work? Was Christ honored? The fact that he went in chains? God sent Paul to Rome, a prisoner in chains. And this prayer is answered. And, the, and, and even as the, the, the purpose of his wanting to go in the end of verse 32, that he wants to come to them with joy and to be refreshed in your company, right? That's his goal in going to Rome. And Paul coming to Rome in chains Right, that prayer is still answered despite the fact that he's come as a prisoner under house arrest. The joy and refreshment. Do you remember that Paul, when he gets to Rome, he writes the book of Philippians from prison in Rome. You know what the theme of the book of Philippians is? Joy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Joy. Right? It's one of the main things that, that, that comes out in that book. He's in chains and, and he sees that he sees. God's hand in it, right? He sees in not only that, but as he brings refreshment to the church and what does that look like to encourage them and encourage them in the ministry and what does it say in Philippians 1.14? Most of the brothers, that is the Christians here in Rome, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul has come to Rome in chains. It was not the way that they expected it. It's not the way he expected it. Some of us would have said prayer didn't work. But here's Paul in Rome writing a letter of joy to the church in the midst of all this, and the, the church is encouraged and empowered. They're sharing the gospel. We're seeing conversions even in Caesar's household. The eyes of faith See a powerful hand of providence even when prayer doesn't look, the answers to prayer doesn't look like we think. John Newton writes and he says, you know who has the key of all hearts and who can bring everything about. Do we? Do we know he has the key to all hearts 
and he can bring everything about. Wait upon him. And he will do your business. Right? This is Paul, and he goes to Jerusalem, and the timing was all off. And it didn't go the way he wanted, but wait upon him. And he will do your business. His providence is wonderful in opening ways, ways you didn't imagine, ways you didn't plan for, and removing difficulties. How would you have ever gotten into Caesar's household to share the gospel unless they were guarding you? And in removing difficulties in favor of those who trust him. So commit all your concerns to him with a single eye. And I would say we do that through prayer. So let me close where Paul closes with his benediction. Right? With peace. Right? This prayer to God. He says, and then may the God of peace be with you all. Which is his turn to pray. He's asked them to pray, and now he's praying. A benediction is a, is a unique and powerful form of communication or prayer because it's a, it's a prayer to God, but it's spoken over the people and to the people. So I'm saying, may the God of peace be with you all. So I'm, I'm saying it to you, but really I'm asking God to do it. May he do it. May the God of peace be with each and every single one of you. I say a benediction every week over you. And at the same time, I'm praying for God's blessing on each and every one. And so what Paul is asking for in this prayer, may the God of peace be with you all. What he's asking for is the presence of God, the God of peace, that he would be with you, that he would be present, that you would know the God of peace in your soul, in your presence, in your experience, in your life. May he be with every single one of you. Personally. He wants the church and every saint to know the presence and the peace of God. And he prays for it. He asks for it. See, we know the peace of God is first and foremost that peace and acceptance that he has purchased for us through the blood of Jesus. Right? The forgiveness of our sins that he makes us righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And so, so being forgiven and made righteous, that the, the God of peace can draw near and be with us. He can be Emmanuel, who we celebrate in his incarnation to live the life we fail to live and to die the death it's, so that procures the forgiveness of our sins so that the God of peace could be with every one of us. Jesus did what he did so that we could pray this prayer and God would answer it with his own presence and his own peace and his own grace. My friends, what do you think of prayer? Is it something that you have to do or you feel guilty about? Or is it full of the presence and the power and the purposes of God? Right? Is it the outpouring of our desires and our needs? Right? Is it seeking from him what he has to give, which is all things? My friend, our, our desires tend to be too weak, which is why our prayers are so feeble. Strong desires make for strong prayers. G.I. Packer says people who know their God are before anything else the people who pray. And the first point where their zeal and their energy for God's glory come into expression is in their prayers. 
And so we must learn to measure ourselves not by our knowledge of God and not by our gifts and our responsibilities of the church, but by how we pray, what goes on in our hearts. I think he is so right. Jesus goes again and again after our hearts. And may our hearts go out to God in earnest prayer. And so I ask you, will you strive with me? Will you strive for me? It's a difficult season, many of you know, in terms of losing my mom. And we have a couple of weeks. I'm doing her service, and I, I would beg for you to pray for our family in these couple of weeks. They are difficult weeks. Pray for me, strive with me, but also for God's presence and his blessing and his power in the life of our church and what God is doing here. I praise God. We did a capital campaign, and you probably know we, it is pretty darn close to that million dollars, $970,000. Praise be to God. We have as confidence as we move forward. We just signed off on the construction documents with the designer and and hired a contractor. So you know we're moving forward as an update, but would you strive with me in prayer? We hope to start building in, in March or April. Pray for this process. Pray for God's provision. Pray for all these things, what he's doing in the life of the church. We're full this morning. It's beautiful, and half the kids already left, <laughs> and we're full. You know, praise God. And what God is doing here, will you strive with me in terms of pray for your pastors and for your leaders and for our ministries and and for each of us. May the God of peace be with you all. Everyone, pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who not only speaks, but who listens, who hears. Oh, may you write deeply on our souls the privilege we have to do what we are doing now, which is to turn our hearts to you and to talk to the God of the universe, our Father, through Jesus Christ, and to know that you hear, to know that you care, that when we lift our eyes to you, we see a friendly face looking back, that in Christ you have loved us and accepted us, and you are at work in our lives. Oh, would you teach us about prayer? Deliver us from the guilt of all the silliness that we handle when we think about it. And lead our hearts into a genuine experience of a God who hears. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.